If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. everyone, John Wertheim here. It is this week's Sports Illustrated Tennis Podcast. Our guest this week is James Blake. James, of course, is a former top five player, a commentator down with ESPN, tournament director with the Miami Open. He is a husband, a father. He's been a friend of mine for a long time and is one of the sports good guys. He is also, sadly, a victim of police brutality. And perhaps you've forgotten this. If so, it's because he doused the situation and, and didn't inflame it. But at the U.S. Open in 2015, he was body slammed and broad daylight while waiting to go out to the U.S. Open. Uh, That was at the hands of a member of the NYPD. It was charitably called mistaken identity. Uh, James didn't sue the police department and get a settlement check that I suspect the NYPD would happily have cut him if it meant sparing them embarrassment. He did something much more creative and more helpful to society at large. We'll we'll talk about that. Um, Given the events of last week, I thought it was important that... uh, James speak if if he were so inclined and he was so here's a tennis podcast that contains not a lot of tennis but James was thoughtful and intelligent and maybe above all empathetic toward all parties including uh, the the good police he uh, shares his thoughts and opinions here and and sadly his firsthand experience uh, with this topic that's engulfed so much of the country and really the world these past few days. So uh, here, without further ado, from San Diego, here's James. Start at the very beginning. How, how have you been experiencing the last week? Um, the last week's been, been challenging. Uh, definitely lost some sleep, um, thinking about a lot of the things that happened to me and a lot of things that have happened to everyone in this country and especially everyone in the, the black and brown communities. Um, it's, really, it's really eye-opening and I try to be as you, you know me, John, you know, I, I generally try to be optimistic and think about things in a positive way. Um, one positive thing is the fact that people are protesting. Um, and I, I want to clarify that, that protesting I'm happy about, the rioting I'm, I'm in no way happy about. But the protesters and the riots, um, in my opinion, are very different. So for people to be outraged because of what happened and for people to decide to use their, their right um, to express concern, express displeasure, express anger and uh, resentment towards the police officers that did this to, to George Floyd um, is actually encouraging to me because it's happened so often that I was really afraid um, the country has become desensitized and numb 
to the fact that black and brown people are just losing their lives and that's just a part of daily life. Um, so I'm encouraged that people care. Um, that This one was so egregious that it took people to, to get out into the streets. And I actually believe that there may not have been a conviction as quickly of, um, of this officer if it hadn't been for the protesters. And then uh, I'm definitely saddened. And once it goes further, I'm saddened by the fact that these riots have been taken over. Um, I've talked to people that are um, around them or in them and doing uh, and doing something peacefully and then just people show up that are not part of it and they're breaking windows uh, throwing stuff um, lighting things on fire and that's not um, that's not the message that's not the protest that's just chaos that's just looking to uh, to promote chaos and that's not what any of this other stuff is standing for so I think there needs to be a distinction and I think um, a lot of people are right that, you know, the looting, the rioting is just awful and it's a bad look and it's terrible for the, for the memory of George Floyd. But I don't think those are the people that really cared about George Floyd to begin with. Yeah, pe people are saying when you're throwing fire extinguishers into urban outfitters, this is no longer about George Floyd. Exactly. And that's why I think there needs to be a distinction because I do think there have been plenty of, across the country, plenty of protests that are peaceful, that are thought out, that are organized, that that's, that to me is, is the, that silver lining that I'm taking in this is that that's America. That's what, uh, that's what should happen is there's been a wrong that's occurred. There's been tons of them over the past year, over the past five years, over the past you know, decades. Um, and this one brought people to organize and the protest. And that's okay. That's great. Um, but when it's been now co-opted um, by people that are just benefiting from chaos, that's what's what's really muddied the waters, and it's uh, it's made the message diluted, and it's it's really unfair. And um, I wish there was a way for the police officers or for the uh, officials, the uh, the governments, to to notice which ones are which, and be able to really separate them out and punish those that are there just to do harm. Uh, and let the others do what they've been trying to do, which is just peacefully protest and let, let everyone know that a change needs to happen. You say that these incidents of police brutality have happened in the last year and the last five years, and you, you speak from experience with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, you, you and I have talked about the police brutality, I, and I don't know, I mean, do you see yourself as, was there cross-racial identity or racial bias? I mean, do you, do you see yourself as a victim of racial bias as well? I was, I was looking at a conversation we had I think on another podcast and we talked a lot about brutality but we didn't really talk much about the racial bias yeah and I, I remember uh, I remember it obviously very vividly but when it happened um I didn't I didn't want to rush to judgment I didn't want to say that's the reason right away because I know how much of a power keg that is how much that can set off um anger resentment that can set off just crazy fireworks so I didn't say that initially my first interview um I wanted to wait and then seeing all the facts, um, as I did throughout, um, seeing that that's the officer that attacked me had um, other incidents and all against African-American men, um, all seemingly racially uh, motivated. And then the fact that the person they did arrest um, for the crime they were supposedly looking at me for was white and there was no incident. Um, he was taken off peacefully and uh, I don't even believe he was in cuffs. So um, that to me, makes me believe that yes it was it was racially motivated and the officer um that did this to me is one of those that is talked about in the the nice way of saying a bad apple uh, in my opinion it's just a, a, a practically a criminal you know he's, he's wearing a uniform but but what he was doing in my opinion is 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 bordering on criminal activity so um 
for, for him to, to do that and to do that so often and then to get away with it is what the, these protests are about and what I, which, which is why I was screaming at the top of my lungs about this, why I was so adamant about this person, this officer that did this to me being fired and not having this job is because almost every person like Derek Chauvin that um, ends up killing um, an unarmed uh, civilian has these kinds of records. They have misconduct on their, on their record. Chauvin, I believe, had 17 other incidents. and 19 complaints? 19, yeah. So at this point, you know, all of those he was held unaccountable for, and he just keeps going and going, and then this is the end result. So in my case, this, the, the officer had, I believe, four or five serious incidents where the, uh, where the city had already paid out in his, on his behalf, and now we're going to just give him five vacation days, and he's going to be right back on the, on the force. Well, these are the type of people that end up killing someone. And I, want, I don't want that to be his future. I don't want that to be the future of the person that will be his victim. And it could be stopped. And that's where precedent, in my opinion, needs to be changed, where they can't have this many incidents and still be um, able to be in charge of having lethal force and able to, to hide under the shield of the badge and just get away with it. They need to be uh, held responsible and not allowed to do this. Not everyone is cut out to be a police officer. The ones that do the job well, our heroes. They go into dangerous situations to protect and serve, to help us, to make our society safer. They, it's not, not everyone's cut out to be that. Not everyone's cut out to be a doctor. Not everyone's cut out to be a lawyer. Not everyone's cut out to be an athlete. You know, it's just not, it's not in anyone, in certain people's DNA. And the officers that have this problem with rage, that, that have this problem with power, uh, power trips, that, that aren't able to de-escalate situations, they shouldn't be police officers. They should be something else. There's got to be other jobs out there for them. Um, but this one is too valuable. It's too dangerous to society to have them uh, with that cloak of security of the badge. Did, did you say five vacation days? Did I hear that right? Yeah, it took two years of me fighting to get this done, and, and he got five vacation days uh, docked from his, uh, uh, for his participation in this, for him being the one that took me down on video um, with no apology and no remorse. So that, to me, is, is not a real punishment. That's uh, in, in, I mean, it's just a slap on the wrist and it makes me, it makes me so much more angry to think that, you know, he might be sitting back somewhere laughing about the fact that, Hey, I got away with this on camera against a public figure, um, in broad daylight. What's to say I can't do, I'm going to do a whole lot worse when it's 2am. And, and also in my opinion, that's why I, I thought my case was so easy to be a precedent setter instead of just going by all these other ones. Like there's no way that I could be victim shamed. You know, other people, uh, other, I've seen so many of these other cases when it's not right to do, but they say, well, he shouldn't have been out at three in the morning. He shouldn't have been outside that liquor store. He shouldn't have had that, um, you know, those loose cigarettes when it came in the, you know, we're talking about Eric Garner. He shouldn't have had, um, a, you know, a small amount of marijuana in his, in his uh, pocket. He shouldn't have had a knife. He shouldn't have had something and they're going to blame them. But I, I was standing outside the Grand Hyatt in New York at noon waiting with my badge and my, my U.S. Open badge in my pocket ready to go to the U.S. Open. Like, you can't say that I was doing anything wrong with no, with no criminal record, uh, you know? So it, uh, to me, I thought that was one that you could set the precedent and say, hey, this is clearly obviously, this is obviously wrong. Um, it's time to send a message and say, you can't do this. You can't get away with harassing and attacking citizens and just go on and have, you know, the rest of your day be fine. It's funny, we, we talk about the decline of the labor union. That, uh, that, that is one powerful union. I think you, uh, you saw that firsthand. It is. It's amazing. And they go into spin control. They go into, um, into the media. They've got such a powerful union 
that, and they stick up for each other. And that's where it's, it, it can also be really dangerous is that it seems like their, you know, their oath is to protect and serve, but that's to protect and serve the community. And it seems like they're just protecting and serving each other. Even in the case of Chauvin, it seems like, you know, what is, who is he protecting by putting his knee on the neck of George Floyd? He thinks in, in his mind, maybe he's protecting the other officers because this man might be dangerous. But when he's cuffed, unarmed, he's clearly not dangerous. But these unions and all the other officers that may be good people, may be good officers that are staying silent. You know, when I was tackled, there were four other officers on the scene. And if I didn't have that video and if I hadn't spoken up, not one of them had filed the report. They didn't know that I had started speaking up or started speaking to the media later that day. And not one of them had filed the report. Not one of them had said anything had gone on. So that would have just never happened. That would have been completely swept under the rug. And those officers may be good officers. They didn't do anything personally directly to me, but they're complicit in what, th what that one officer did to me because they're not going to say anything. And that's where the, this union, this brotherhood, this sort of fraternity that they have um, can be dangerous. Because I saw someone posted something saying that, you know, if you've got 10 bad cops and a thousand cops that are silent about it, you've got a thousand and ten bad cops. You know, it's not, and that's, you know, one way of putting it, but it's, it's true because they, they could say something and that's where they need to make their job easier by saying something. And I think in the short term, it would be more difficult because this brotherhood is so close and they're afraid there's going to be backlash. People are going to say you're, you're going against um, what our, you know, what we're supposed to be doing. We're together. But in the long run, I think it makes their job tougher because for the rest of my life, I might be more tense and more nervous every time I encounter a police officer. And everyone that's seen what happened to George Floyd, everyone that's seen these videos is now may be a little more nervous. And that's going to make the good cop's job much tougher. So if you get rid of the ones that are making your job tougher, I think in the long run, um, it's going to be better for, it'll be better for society for sure, but it should be better for the police as well. I mean, I'm also struck by what you're saying that, you know, this, these are public servants, but it doesn't seem like there's any civilian oversight. I mean, this, this is a matter right. between, you know, you, you, a police department and a, and a union, basically. Yeah. Was, was there any civic, was there any sort of civilian intervention here? Um, so for mine, I ended up having to go to the Civilian Complaint Review Board is who actually sort of prosecuted the case uh, for me. And um, they, did, they did their best, but that was originally started by the police. So every precedent that's there is when the police were governing the police. And so when they asked for five vacations, I, I kept telling the, the lawyer there, hey, I want this guy fired. You need to ask for, uh, you go in front of the judge or whatever and say that this man needs to be fired. Well, we can't do that because it'll look like it's preferential treatment because most cases like this where there's police brutality, but no one's killed, um, it's generally five days or four days or a week or something like that. So we can't go over that and it'll look like we're doing this um, just for you. I said, well, that's unfortunate because that's why I said this is this should be a precedent setting case because that's the precedent from when they were policing each other when it was you know one officer saying to another officer oh you just get one vacation day off and that's it but we need to change that the whole thing needs to be starting anew and I think there needs to be instead of the civilian complaint review board however it needs to happen where there is an independent council that's not in bed with the police officers not in bed with the union that's not uh, connected to the politicians it's just independent lawyers that are handling this and look at this objectively, and then maybe we can get some accountability. You, th thank God you did not get a knee to the, you know, you did not get a knee to the neck, but you yeah. can see the video. I mean, you, you know, you, you got roughed up. Yeah. What's been, the, what's been the impact of that? I mean, apart from the, the scrapes and the scratches, what, how's this impacted you? Well, it's, you know, I, I got up, 
I don't know if it was last Thursday or Friday, but I got up in the middle of the night and I don't know about you, but sometimes if, if you get up and then you can get right back to sleep and if you can't, once in a while your mind starts going and you go, go down a bit of a rabbit hole and I started thinking and thinking and I couldn't get back to sleep. I lost the, pretty much an entire night's sleep, but I started thinking, and this isn't the first time this happened, but it was because of seeing that, that video with George Floyd, you start thinking about what could have happened. When, when it happened to me in 2015, I think about how I, I very often, it's not like, you know, once a year or anything. This is pretty often I think about how lucky I am because being a public figure around the U.S. Open in New York at, during the U.S. Open, I see someone running towards me. It's plain clothes. It doesn't say he's a police officer. And my first reaction, thank goodness, luckily, was this might be a fan. This is someone coming to that saw one of my matches and wants to scream and yell at me, didn't know if they'd ever get a chance to talk to me. And they, they were sitting there watching my Agassi match or something like that. And they want to tell me. So this guy runs at me and I have my hands down and the video you can see I'm actually smiling because I think this is hopefully just a fan. And before you know it, a split second, he, he throws me against the wall and, and tackles me onto the ground, puts a knee in my back and starts uh, pulling out handcuffs. So now at this point, I assume it's a cop. And my first reaction is I'm 100% compliant. Whatever you say, uh, I'm going to do because that's the conversation I had with my dad growing up. That's the, you know. You're, the, you're, you're saying this? You're thinking this or you're saying this? I said that. I said I'm doing whatever you say 100%. You know, whatever you say, uh, I'm doing, I'm complying. Because at that point, you know, this is obviously pre-George Floyd, but there were plenty of other incidents before that there were, that I had seen on the news that I was scared of, that I didn't want to be another headline like that. So I'm saying that, and I think about if I hadn't been who I am and thinking this is a fan, my first reaction, you see someone running at you, is there's two options. You either fight or flight. You either swing or you start running. And I think if I had done either one of those, if I had swung, he was bigger than me. He's obviously been trained in hand-to-hand combat, I'm sure. And there were four other officers on the scene. So I'm going to be in big trouble if I start swinging. Armed. Armed officer. Yeah, and armed. <laughs> yeah. And the other one is if I start running, there are four other officers on the scene. I mean, I, 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 did, I did run pretty good when I was on tour, but uh, <laughs> I, I probably can't outrun all four of these guys. And the fact, like you said, they're armed. So if I start running, uh, even though I've done nothing wrong, if I just see someone running at me and I start running, um, I look guilty. And then they're going to say I'm, rest- I'm restraining, I'm um, uh, resisting arrest. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going and there's four other officers. One of them tackles me. And then I don't think they take it they don't take it easy on me if I'm running and I'm squirming and I'm trying to get away from there. So I just think about how lucky I was in that regard that I had the reaction that I had was the absolute minimum uh, pain and suffering I got. And then the other thing is since he didn't say police, if, if Rory, my trainer had been standing right next to me, if my brother had been standing next to me, if one of my best friends had been standing next to me, they see someone take me down, they're going to take him down. They're going to go after him and swing at him. And then like I said, four other officers on the scene, they're going to be possibly shot, hurt, tackled, arrested, whatever. It's going to be bad for everyone. So I just think about all the situations that could have happened. And it makes me think, one, I'm extremely lucky uh, the way it happened. And two, next time, you know, is there going to be a next time? Is there going to be a time when I'm just legitimately just standing outside and something like this could happen? And it could be worse because someone else might be there with me or I might have a different reaction. And why is it fair it basically it isn't fair that there have to be these two different sets of rules because I have to be on my best behavior. I have to say 100% I'm complying with the officer. I'm doing all this, even though I did nothing wrong, as opposed to other people that are so brazen, so okay with flaunting the rules, flaunting the laws, the, the, the protesters that were carrying uh, assault rifles, storming the, um, 
the Capitol building in Michigan, they had all um, worried about any sort of uh, police and riot gear, anyone taking, you know, uh, taking them down or attacking them or anything like that. Um, why are there two totally different sets of rules? It's just not fair at this point, at this day and age, you know, we've, we're supposedly freed, you know, with, uh, you know, when they, when they supposedly freed the slaves and Abraham Lincoln did that and everything, we're supposed to be equal. All men are created equal, but then why do we have two different sets of rules? And it doesn't seem fair that I have to be nervous every time I'm out for a jog or standing in, uh, standing outside a hotel or doing anything. And the rest of the world, you know, the, the white world can go through that without ever thinking those kind of thoughts and committing the same crimes. You know, if someone's, if someone's, uh, you know, they're committing the crimes at about the same rate, but blacks are being punished three times more, more often to be punished and with sentences twice as, uh, twice as harsh. You know, why are these sets of rules still totally different in 2020 when we've supposedly been free for so long? It just, it made me think, and I got on this, you know, I just started thinking and thinking and thinking, and that was pretty much all night. What, I, what was going through my mind? Like, when will this change? And I was just uh, thinking about something today and, uh, someone talked about the fact that it's never going to be some of the words of Martin Luther King, everyone's saying, Oh, Martin Luther King protested peacefully. It would have been fine. But you know, it wasn't always like that. He, he, he wanted justice as well. And he said, you know, the oppressors will never give voluntarily give up those they're oppressing. It, they have to be taken from those that are being impressed, uh, oppressed. And I, I think about that. Like, so at this point, that's why I'm very happy that there are protests again, not the riots, the protests, because we have to stand up and say that something needs to change. It's not fair at this day and age that we're still being oppressed and we're still living as second-class citizens. And, you know, another thought that uh, I apologize for kind of going down my stream of consciousness rabbit hole, but the fact that, you know, when you talk about, okay, black and brown are second-class citizens at times and they're treated that way. If you watch that video, which I don't know how many times people want to watch the video of George Floyd, but the callousness and the almost lackadaisical attitude of some of the other police officers, they're just standing there, hands in pocket, and other bystanders that are watching this, and there isn't crazed outrage. There were some of the people saying, hey, let him up, let him go, and you know he can't breathe. But just imagine if that was an officer doing that to a dog, a pet, and how much outrage there would be. And so these people, not not on purpose, but the officers and, their, and the bystanders are saying that a dog's life, a pet's life is going to be more valuable than this black man because they've seen it. They've seen it. And that's where I, I got so scared that we've been desensitized. That, was, that must have been that night, the night that it happened when I saw that, that I was thinking about this because the protests hadn't started yet. So now it then encouraged me to say, okay, we're not totally desensitized. People still care because they've seen this and they're going to react and they're going to have this kind of they're going to take this kind of action immediately. But it just made me think like, you know, how many people care so much about dogs and they're going to be so, uh, you know, so vocal about saving these dogs, saving these animals, but they're not going to do that about um, a black man that's on the street dying with, a, with, you know, with a knee in his neck for nine minutes nearly. It just made me think, it made me so sad to think that that's, that's the way that a lot of people in the public look at a black man. If you and I were talking about this over breakfast, I would, I might d differentiate between the, the public who's, frozen, unarmed, and the three yeah. officers, and the three officers who are basically more concerned about people shooting camera video than, uh, than doing the right thing with their, with their colleague. Um, true, true. But I, I want to ask about your, I mean, you are precisely the kind of person that you're, you're the, the worst possible plaintiff if you're uh, <laughs> defending an instance of police brutality, but 
you you did yeah. something unique. You did something very different than just go in there and get a settlement and get the police yeah. department to write you a check and go on your way. Um, yeah. How did you put in your words how you handled this? Well, um, so it was funny because when, when it did happen, I was still in New York. I was still doing a lot of appearances at the U.S. Open for the next week or two. Um, and it was a little crazy. But then every time I'd be out in public and people recognized me and said something, all they wanted to say was, hey, you should sue them. Sue them, you know, sue them for all they're worth. I started thinking about it. Well, you know what? If I sue the police department, that's taxpayer money. Citizens of New York City, taxpayer money is going to go into my pocket. That's going to help me, but that's it. That's not going to help anyone else. So that doesn't seem like the right outcome. That doesn't seem like it's real punishment for the officer. That doesn't barely even seems like it's punishment for the city or for anyone that's enabling it. So what can I do that may actually help? So I waived my right um, to actually sue the city for any sort of um, any sort of compensation if they would put in place a fellowship. So there's a fellow that's now on staff um to help to prosecute these kind of cases any sort of police brutality cases um they agreed to three years of a line item uh in their budget um to pay a full salary full benefits um a fellow there um to, to prosecute these cases so i feel like that's hopefully helped because i I, that I saw in the civilian complaint review board they are completely bogged down there's just so many cases um, I, I was able to fortunate enough to be able to afford to have my own lawyer help. Um, but a lot of people aren't, and they don't have the, the connections to get the right kind of lawyer. They don't have the resources to pay for that. Um, and I was lucky enough to do that. So this person can hopefully help and just lessen that load on the civilian complaint review board and on so many other people that are, um, that don't have the ability to pay for a, a lawyer that can help them when they have these kind of situations and they got to go off to work. They got to go off to their normal nine to five job. You you check in on the status? I mean, did you have a relationship? I checked in, I checked in when I started. I, I, I saw the, the first applicants for it and I, um, I, I put in my two cents there. But since then, um, I've, I haven't had as much, um, as much contact. I've let them kind of do their thing. Still, it's a, it's, a, it's a great story. And I feel like people don't necessarily, it's like a post-match analysis. Everybody remembers, uh, the incident, but that's yeah. a pretty remarkable story after that. I want to ask you finally, um, I, I think it was two years after your incident, you, you authored a book. Um, yeah. The, uh, the Ways of Grace, playing yeah. off of Arthur Ashe, Days of Grace, about the, the intersection of athletes and activism. Um, yeah. You know, and we, we've seen some players, I mean, I think it's always interesting which players are, are vocal and which aren't, but yeah. everyone has their own pressures and, and their own, uh, you know, I, we, we don't judge. Yep. Um, but what, what, what do you think is the, uh, what, what's the role of sports here? And I'm also particularly curious what you've seen out of the tennis community this last week. Well, um, yeah, it's, it's also an interesting, um, intersection right now because there really isn't sports. There aren't sports going on. So people have time. And uh, I think that's, that's difficult for people who want to just get away from this because if people are watching whatever they're watching, whether it be CNN or Fox News or MSNBC or OAN or whatever people are watching, they might be watching it all day now because there isn't a way to just get away and say, hey, let's put on a basketball game and just watch something and get away from this and, uh, and watch baseball. It's so slow moving and you can just sit there and kind of zone out and, and watch. Um, so I think it's tough because people are so immersed in this, which they should be. It's great that they're learning more. They're uh, they're reading more, they're seeing more on the news. Um, but sports usually has that effect of being able to to make something magical or special happen and and get people to be 
sort of energized about something outside of, uh, of this very heavy situation that we're in. Um, since we don't have that, um, I actually see a lot more athletes that are, in my opinion, I think I'm seeing, I feel like I'm seeing more athletes speaking out because they're not as focused on their job. They're not as focused on training and uh, competing right now. So I, I see a few more of that. And, and like you said, there's some that don't want to, and again, don't judge because they may have other issues. They may have other beliefs that they're afraid are going to hurt their, uh, their careers. It may be too much for them to, to deal with both at the same time. I remember that you, it's best at times to be in a bubble, to be focused on your, your sport. So I get it. Um, but some are speaking out and that's encouraging. Francis Tiafo did a great thing. I'm so proud of him for um, putting together that video uh, of everyone putting their hands up and getting the likes of Serena Williams, Naomi Osaka, Coco Golf, uh, Monfils and Sangha to do that. Um, so I'm, I'm really proud that some are, are speaking up and trying to use their, their voice. And I think uh, athletes do have a pretty unique ability because if you think about most politicians, they don't have a real direct connection. Um, you're not gonna take a bunch of 20 year olds and teenagers that are gonna listen to, to some older politi you know, lifetime politicians speaking about what they need to do. But if you hear LeBron James or Steph Curry or Francis Tiafo or, uh, or Rafa or Roger speaking up, they may have a much more direct connection and link. So, I mean, you want your politicians to have um, the voice of reason. You want your politicians to have that calming effect and that influence, but you may want to also rely on some of the athletes that can have that direct connection and they can, they can sometimes have even more powerful words um, than the politicians. So um, I think a lot of athletes now are taking that seriously, more seriously than they did 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, but, um, and they have the direct connection of social media. They can put it on Instagram today. They can put it on Twitter, you know, in, in 10 minutes and have, thousands of people see it millions of people see it so um athletes in my opinion are doing doing a great job and, and doing um doing a good job of being active socially and hopefully drawing people to the right positive reactions instead of inciting violence i mean sadly you want you want your athletes doing the, the responsible thing and i think sadly we've got one uh very particular politician that's actually inciting violence at times and um and that's not what you need when you've got a leader that's that's bringing people further and further apart um, when you'd love to have someone at this time and, and place that we're in, um, instead of making it political, instead of making it combative. Good place to, uh, good place to wrap. No, I, I think yeah, we don't want to be going down the rabbit hole on that one. <laughs> no, but I, no, but I feel like, you know, you, um, I, I mean, the other question I want to ask you though, is indisputably just a horrible repugnant act and the looting is awful. And right now, as we tape this, our country really seems to be, uh, sort of a, a damaged brand, so to speak. The federal government yeah. has not provided uh, much in the way of leadership starting at the top. Do you see any, I mean, it, it sounds trite, but do you see any silver lining here? I mean, is there anything to come out of this that gives you some, some optimism? You know, like I said, the only, the only silver lining I saw, or the best silver lining I saw was that people do care. And that was the initial start of the protest. The other um, maybe silver lining is you'll see a few people that, rise to the occasion. Um, I thought um, Keisha Lance Bottoms was, was incredible in her speech uh, to the Atlanta public when there was that first night of, of rioting there. Um, she gave an impassioned speech and let them know that that to me looked like leadership, someone that cares, someone that empathizes with the situation and someone that wants what's best for their, for, for their city, for those people. Killer Mike did the same. And so for me, the silver lining I'm looking for and looking at is that 
okay, these people want to make a change. They want to make a difference. So let's remind every one of them that is going out there to protest right now, that, is, that does want change, that does want to make a difference. The next best way to affect change is, to, is there in November, is to go out and vote and to get registered right now and to make sure that you make a difference and that you care about your local elections because those are some people, I mean, you see how important the, the mayor of Minneapolis, the governor of Minnesota is uh, in a time like this when you've got a crisis. So who do you want that's gonna represent you? That's gonna represent what you think is the, the, next situ the, be the best situation for you and your family and your community let's put them on the ballot in November and let's, let's vote for them and make a difference. And uh, even if they're, they are trying to suppress the vote, they're making it more difficult. You have to drive further to get there. You have to get an extra ID. Um, you've got to get bust. Uh, some people it's not possible, but try to find a way to vote absentee. They're trying to make that impossible, but try to find a way to vote and, and then make a difference that way. And that can actually have, have an effect on the way that the country is going. So I think that, that people need to need to realize the importance of that. I appreciate this. I, I hope you are not uh, re-traumatized, and I hope next time we talk, it can be uh, Rafa Rogers, Serena Coco in uh, the Miami Open. Those are a lot of fun. Let, yeah, let, let's get back to those conversations as soon as we possibly can. This is an important one, though. I really I, I appreciate this. Absolutely. Thank you, John. I appreciate you doing it, too. Thanks. Take care of yourself, and uh, we'll see you in New York. Okay, thanks so much to James for the, for the time and candor. Um, that's a lot to take in. I don't know who has solutions to what we're witnessing. I sure don't. I know that we have power to use our collective strength, though. Um, it's been heartening to see how many tennis players, especially on the women's side, Serena, Naomi Osaka, and Coco Goff, have been using their megaphone. And big thanks to James for uh, some really measured and, and smart uh thoughts on this issue. Thanks as well to Jamie for her uh, producing excellence and her reliability as always. Seemed a little incongruous to talk tennis after that chat with James. For this week, thanks for listening. Thanks for the guest suggestions as always. Subscribe, leave a review, get this podcast on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, wherever you shop for podcasts. Um, stay safe, everyone. Have a good week and we'll do it again in seven days. Mm -hmm.